Hi everyone, this is Christy, and our guest today believes that the best way to create change is by supporting the people who work in schools. We agree, and a great way to support our educators is through ongoing training opportunities that are high quality, easily accessible, and flexible. And that's why we're so excited about today's sponsor, the Teaching Channel Plus. As more and more school districts are allowing less and less release time for professional learning, Teaching Channel Plus allows you to quickly and easily move your existing PD program online. Their expert designed courses support educator growth at every career stage. You can access 1400 videos of real classrooms in every subject and at every grade level, allowing you to analyze, tag, and discuss videos with your team using video observation tools. These interactive tools allow you to go far beyond the one workshop and done approach to professional learning, increasing efficacy in a collaborative community. You can find Teaching Channel Plus at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. I always wanted to be a teacher from when I was about eight years old. My parents had, um, they rented out a room to people from different parts of the world who were coming to Berkeley, California, where I grew up to learn English as a foreign language. And I would troop into their rooms uninvited with my little books and I would teach them reading or help them with reading English um, at eight. Megan Sweet is a systems thinker with a doctoral degree in educational leadership. She's been an educator for more than 25 years as a teacher, school administrator, school district leader, and currently an elected member of her local school board. Megan's academic and professional interests rest mainly in how to create effective change in educational contexts. She's also passionate about meditation, mindfulness, and the power of love to heal our world, and is an intentionally recognized leader of mindfulness in education. She shares her unique approach to school change in her recently released book, An Educator's Guide for Using Your Three Eyes, which we couldn't wait to hear all about. I taught school, um, started in high school and then end up landing in middle school, my favorite spot um, at 21. So I was teaching from just a really young age um, and then transitioned to being a school administrator and um, first worked at a turnaround elementary school, which means a school that was really amongst the lowest performing in our district. And we got to do a full redesign. While I was doing that, I was also getting my doctoral degree in educational leadership with a focus on finance reform and and change management for school districts. So it was kind of perfect and kind of a nightmare. And luckily I was young and didn't have kids or anything like that. For the last 15 years, I've mostly spent my time then helping other schools and districts across um, California mostly redesign their schools. So I have done district-wide initiatives, statewide initiatives actually in California, but also individual school changes. And I just really like supporting people to envision a change and then to, to carry it out. 
It sounds really fulfilling. And it sounds like your parents were maybe the forerunners of Airbnb and had their own little foreign exchange situation going there. They totally were. That's right. Yeah. I can imagine <laughs> that shaped you pretty significantly having all those people in your house. We had people from Japan coming in. So a lot of ways, culturally, I feel like I'm more Japanese than I am, you know, German, which is my family heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time just being deeply steeped in other uh, cultures, which is invaluable for anyone. What a gift. Yeah. And, and I mean, you live in one of the most diverse parts of the country. So you share really part of our mission and vision here at Ed Curation, which is all around casting a vision and reshaping learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said that the best way to create change is by supporting the people who work in schools. I think you have that on your website. Yeah. And to that end, you have established your own consultancy. You tell our listeners a little bit more about your three eyes. I'm obviously intrigued by the name. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear. Some people say it's a really complicated name and confusing, but I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. The part of my history that I didn't share is that I've also been a lifelong uh, meditator. So in addition to being exposed to people from around the world, I was in classroom settings where things like mindfulness and meditation were built into our school day. You know, again, Berkeley post 60s, there were opportunities there. And the schools who are doing that now think that they're being very innovative and no yes. one's ever done it before. And you were doing it back in the 60s. Here I am doing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was it was an innovative then for sure. And I think it is, still is in a lot of places in the country. But um, really, I created Your Three Eyes out of my life of experiences being in education. So the first thing that is not going to surprise any of your listeners is that educators work incredibly hard. And are in fact overworked, right? So we're all kind of giving people by nature. I think educators come into teaching and to being an administrator with so much um, idealism and enthusiasm, and really being mission driven around what's having us show up because we're we're not paid very well and we work incredible hours. So it takes a dedicated bunch of people. Um, but the work is, is demanding and it's ever changing and it can be really taxing. This last year is a really great example of that, right? That um, every single person who works in a school had to change fundamentally the way that they approach their work um, over a weekend. Uh, I don't know many other people across the country who have careers where that was true um, and had to do it, not only just had to do that, but then had to do it with like a group of people watching them and waiting, right? <laughs> so you're, you're doing it live with kids, with parents, yeah. with other people watching. And the stakes are high. Stakes are so high. So right? high. And you've got some kids. kids whose homes aren't safe places and school yes. is where they need to be. Yes. Yes. Oh. Right. And we're navigating all of that at the same time. And what I found is educators, when we're around each other a lot, sometimes we can not be very nice to each other. We all know this. This isn't a huge secret in the world, but like when you're giving so much you know, it kind of, it takes away somewhere. It's easy to get grumpy. Yeah. And it's because it's because the stakes are so high, as you said, and the pressure is so immense and the, and the needs are so great and the resources are so few. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, it creates a situation that's really challenging. So I was getting burned out myself and was trying to figure out ways to feel better. And I started integrating mindfulness practices into my work day, really just to see if that would help me to be able to stay grounded in the work. Um, And it worked. Um, And I started to think about like, well, what else am I doing that could also help other people? And I I wanted to start bringing it initially to my, the other administrators at my school district. That was my idea. 
but you know, they weren't open to it because you have to come to these things by choice. So I started to write about it. And what came out were these three lenses or the three eyes that I talk about. So the first one is intellect, um, which is basically that prefrontal cortex kind of, it's our thinking brain that we actually build and develop a lot in, in educational settings, right? It's reading, writing, math, computation. Um, it's the part of our brain that moves and thinks quickly. And that's a great part of our brain, but we tend to be really focused on the information we get there without actually being curious about what else is going on. And the reality is that front part of our brain is being informed by information that's been vetted by our subconscious minds and our subconscious minds have biases. So we're not getting the full story that we think we have and that we're running along with. So it's important to triangulate the information we get and, and, and use in our lives. We need to hear that again. This is essential insight into the divisions and debates going on nationally and even internationally right now. That front part of our brain is being informed by information that's been vetted by our subconscious minds and our subconscious minds have biases. So we're not getting the full story. The full story requires triangulating, thus the three eyes. Here's Megan with number two, the second eye. So the second lens is insight, which is really just perspective taking. So it, it's another word that people are using a lot right now is like, uh, it's related to like emotional intelligence and things like that, but it's really knowing yourself well mm -hmm. and being able to understand your patterns and, um, you know, understand your experiences and, and what might be influencing how you're showing up in the world. So it's just like learning about yourself and learning about what's happened. The third lens is intuition, which is um, learning actually to get out of our head brains into our bodies a little bit more, mm -hmm. connecting our minds and our bodies together. Our hearts and our guts actually have some of the same components as our brain. So they actually are taking in information, mm -hmm. but it's, it's quieter it's much more subtle and it requires that we slow down to be able to access it. And my, what I found for myself and what I developed in, in your three eyes is um, when you put all three together, uh, you get a lot more depth and clarity about um, what's going on in your personal life as well as in your professional life. So just to review, the three eyes are intellect, insight, and intuition. Got it? And so for me, I likened it to, you know, what happens when you look at a 3D image without the glasses on, right? It's, you can kind of tell what's there, but it's a little bit fuzzy and a little bit unclear. But when you put on those three-dimensional glasses, suddenly there's a depth and perspective mm -hmm. that you don't have when you're just looking at the image alone. So that's what I believe happens when you start, when you go through life using all three of those lenses at the same time. So I find it so encouraging to hear you talking about this. We just did an episode a few weeks ago about the Girls Athletic Leadership School here in Denver. And I talked to the founder and one of their cornerstones really was movement, right? And embodied learning because of the fact that we have this cellular awareness mm -hmm. throughout our body. You talked about our, our gut and our hearts, but really all of our cells have this level of awareness that enhances and works with cognition. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing and encouraging to me to see the growing awareness if, of this in education and how we can leverage it for our students, but also how it's contributing to the conversation around school climate, school culture, and the big push to integrate social emotional learning in all classes mm -hmm. all day long. And mm -hmm. the teachers of my generation, and even after my generation, they weren't taught this way. Mm 
And they weren't taught to teach this way. And so where do we start with that? You said that you started by just integrating some mindfulness practices into your own day. And I'm wondering what that looked like for you. And then how do you teach other people to just get started? Yeah, that's a great question. And I appreciate that insight that for those of us, I mean, even newer teachers aren't necessarily being given this information, but yeah, the idea of social emotional learning being integrated in is a new concept for those of us who started out with ditto machines and, you know, oh my gosh, ditto ditto projectors machine. and all the Girl. things that are yeah. like relics now. Um, I mean, probably uh, most of our listeners don't even know what that is. Yeah, no, they sure don't. Look it up. No. <laughs> I've been talking about slide projectors. That was my technology back in the day. I know. Um, VCRs. We were so hip with our VCRs. I thought I was really on it with the slide projector and wow. Um, Yeah. So how do you get started? I think there's a balance that we need to have between self-work and school and and then doing schoolwork. We cannot give, we cannot be, be mindful or embodied or encourage embodiment in our kids if we're not embodied ourselves. Um, also we deserve to feel good and we, we deserve to feel better just because, um, we're human beings because we have really hard jobs because we're so dedicated. Um, so it starts with, with dedicating some time to yourself, really just investing in your own well Um, so that could be things like mindfulness practices. It could be choosing to do something that you love more often. Um, it doesn't have to be long periods of time. It could be five minutes. It could be one minute, but it's, it's making the active choice to move towards things that bring you joy during the day and that help you feel grounded and embodied in your life. It can be as fast as just recognizing that you're having a great moment and saying, thank you. Like it's, it can be that quick. Um, but that starts to shift your energy and how you're showing up. And really what we want to do is start, start to use those three eyes or that, you know, that perspective taking and that knowledge to start to get a little bit curious about ourselves. What are the thoughts that are running in our minds? What are the stories we're starting to tell ourselves? And that requires that we slow down a little bit. Um, so that's a little bit of the self-work, which is really just like committing to being friendly with yourself, knowing yourself and showing yourself some care. Um, that's something we can do anytime, anywhere. Um, and that alone starts to make an incredible shift in what happens in your school life. So if you're a teacher, um, you don't, without even bringing mindfulness or any kind of practice, you know, even before you bring SEL to your kids, um, when you're more grounded, when you're more embodied, again, lots of scientific proof behind it, your nervous system helps to regulate the nervous systems of your students. Did you catch that? Your nervous system helps to regulate the nervous systems of your students. In other words, one of the best ways we can support our students socially and emotionally is to do our own work and make sure we're in a good place when we show up in our classrooms. So we have what are called mirror neurons, um, or we, we mirror the energy around us unconsciously. So when we're in a classroom and we're dysregulated, we're angry, we're stressed out, we're tired, um, our kids are picking up on that subconsciously and they're reacting. So any teacher knows this. I remember this like the first time I was like, I don't know, I was 25 and I was profoundly bad mood. And I was like, all I need is for the kids to be good today. And of course they were all just all over the place because they were reacting to my energy. Yeah. Um, so now we know that that actually is a true thing that happens. So if we're in a bad mood, generally our classrooms struggle because our kids are freaking out because they, they're sensing that kind of danger. Um, they're doing their fight, flight, freeze response to our energy. But the reverse is also true. 
when we're calmer and we're more grounded and when we're taking care of ourselves, kids entrain to that energy as well. Mm-hmm. And they will calm down just by us being more grounded. So that's why it's really important for us to start with ourselves first. If you're traveling with children, make sure that your own mask is on first before helping your children. Next, you can start to bring some of those things in with your kids. Again, it's as simple as um, it could be breathing techniques. It could just be noticing the energy in the room and doing some kind of an energy break. Um, there have been a lot of really amazing ways that I've seen SEL integrated into classrooms. Um, if you're an administrator, it's the same thing. It's really just starting to um, find ways to support people to develop their relationships with themselves so that they can be grounded a little bit more. And that just changes everything. It changes how kids learn. It changes how we interact with one another. We're more self-aware, less likely to say things that are harmful mm-hmm. to ourselves or to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're able to then kind of get into the real hard work of changing our schools. You made me think of, you know, that old kind of folk wisdom saying about if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's true of teachers too. And I mean, the saying goes on to saying, if Papa ain't happy, don't nobody care. But I don't know. I don't think I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with it. But but I do know um, folk wisdom is wisdom because it's true. Right. We, we do. We do set the tone. They've done research studies around the change in student achievement when teachers start to greet their students daily at the door with their names and mm-hmm. eye contact and a handshake and how achievement went up just from that one practice. Uh-huh. Um, what would happen if we started all of our classes with three deep breaths, nothing more, right? Okay. 20 seconds, 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. What would happen? Um, I'm going to quote you to yourself again. You say <laughs> that prioritizing the relationship with ourselves is the key to long-term success. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about what that looks like. So when we take that time to take care of ourselves, it readies us to do the schoolwork or to get in and be a teacher or a school administrator or tackle all the things that are true about being an educator. The self-work has to be prioritized, which I think is what's hard for educators because we're people who want to take care of other people. And in most places where I've worked, it's it's considered a bad thing when you take care of yourself. You know, we all have the badge of honor for who stayed at work the latest and who yeah. worked the extra hours. I know I've done it to myself and I continue to do it to myself. So it's because the work is never ending and there's so much of it and the need is so high. So really the only way we can do that is by, but we have to kind of stop that cycle. And I'm not saying you run into your office today and tell your principal or whomever that you're leaving five minutes after school is out and that's all there is to it. But it is starting to make those choices and evaluate um, whether or not whatever it is you're doing can wait. Um, Building time into your schedule to take care of yourself. Uh, I always have my physical fitness. That's the first thing I I throw out the window when I'm really busy. Um, But when we keep depleting ourselves, what happens is we burn out. Uh, We we aren't as able to manage our own emotions or our own responses. We tend to be much more reactive. And we end up actually undermining our efforts with our kids because most of us want to have profound and positive impacts on our students. But when we're showing up and we're depleted, we're not able to do that really well. I think there's a lot of concern right now about teacher attrition and it, Uh which was happening even before the pandemic, but now it's at a crisis level. I think there are a lot of well-meaning people and, and administrators telling teachers to take care of themselves and I don't, I'm not sure that we all know what that looks like, but what can, 
when you're working with school districts, what can administrators do beyond saying, mm-hmm. take care of yourselves, make sure you're doing your self-care? Like, how can they create that culture of making sure that teachers are cared for and have the space to care for themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts with administrators doing the same thing, right? So they can say, take care of yourselves. But if they're working 12, 15 hours a a day, if they're burning themselves out, even if they're not saying out, even if they're saying out loud to their teachers, take time off, if they're not modeling it, it actually doesn't give teachers permission to really feel like they can let down their guard. Um, so it actually requires first and administrators need to take care of themselves too, because they are also leaving at alarming rates. Yeah. Uh, and all of that creates this inconsistent learning experience for our kids. That's profoundly damaging for their long-term success. We all know that, right? So the first thing is administrators need to learn to take care of themselves, but they hold the keys to the kingdom. And so there's some powerful ways that they can start to shift that. Number one is just like you said, they can establish some really simple practices like we're going to start our meetings with three breaths, or we're going to take a moment to arrive. Um, we can do, you know, they can integrate SEL practices into their time that they have with their teachers. So they can do a lot of really powerful modeling around what it looks like to integrate these things in their interactions with students, staff, and parents. Um, that makes a big difference. They can also invest in professional development. Um, mindfulness, I've, I've, brought mindfulness to school for years. And for me, it's one of my favorite things to bring to schools because it's relatively free. Like you might want to have someone come in and provide PD, but breathing is free. We all do it every day. Um, And there's lots of ways to integrate mindfulness into into the school day without it being a big expense. But administrators also do need to dedicate time and energy to supporting teachers. It could be recognition events. It could be um, professional development. Speaking of professional development, the Teaching Channel Plus has got you covered for hands-on professional learning for every content area, every grade level, with professionally designed courses and interactive tools to help you and your team collaborate, gather data, and implement a robust coaching model. Teaching Channel Plus was designed by a team of educators who are fed up with the one-size-fits-all PD. Educators can join Teaching Channel Plus with their school or district to get the professional development they actually need whenever they want. Complete video observations with your team using custom rubrics. Analyze, tag, and discuss your own teaching footage or any of our 1400 plus classroom videos of real lessons by top educators. You can also take any of our nearly 100 courses in topics like culturally responsive teaching, working with paraprofessionals, and using Google Classroom. Reimagine the professional learning at your school or district. Learn more and get started at teachingchannel.com forward slash edcuration. Like Megan says, the best way to create change is by supporting people who work in schools. Teaching Channel Plus is here to help. I used to walk around on rainy days with a cart of coffee and hot chocolate. Like these are simple, simple, easy ways to go um, that help people feel seen and recognized. And it makes them want to do the same thing. Yeah. And it just makes it a more human environment. Yeah. Yeah. More human and humane both. Mm -hmm. Are these some of the kinds of things that you provide and train in your, in the work that you do with school districts? I have a few different courses. So Part of what gets in our way and challenges us as humans is that we have these unconscious beliefs that have been given to us, often like not by our own choice, um, about ourselves and other people that impact our experience throughout the day. That includes implicit bias, but that also includes sense of self. You know, if you were in an environment where you're told you weren't smart as a kid, 
you grow up into being an adult and that's there. And that influences how you experience your interaction. So in the beliefs lab, I just give some processes for how to start to get a handle on that. Um, and once you know what the beliefs are that are driving you, whether they're positive or disempowering, um, you can start to shift them right away because it's like, it's like that 3D picture. They start jumping out at you everywhere. <laughs> you start seeing that belief showing up so you can start to work with it. And then there's also your book. So tell our listeners a little bit about your book. Who is your audience? What kinds of resources can they find in your book? So the book is called An Educator's Guide for Using Your Three Eyes. Um, we've talked about what those three eyes are. Um, it provides a lot of the um, underpinning and the research behind the three eyes and how they work. So I go through each eye in detail mm -hmm. and I provide a lot of the research behind why that eye is there <laughs> and how it influences us. Um, and some strategies for how to work with it. I also provide examples for how that applies in an individual personal setting, as well as in a school setting. And then some tools, because again, I'm a pragmatist. So within, throughout the whole book are a lot of different tools and strategies for how to apply the three eyes together um, and how to apply them individually. So that's what's in the book. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of, of content and research. Um, so you can make your own choices, which is what I think is really important. Do you have a favorite success story or from a specific teacher or classroom that you've worked with? So I just left an organization where I was also um, a senior director of program and impact. And I helped to redesign all of our curriculum around this idea of being embodied and, and, and having um, being much more aware of what's happening in your thoughts and in your minds. Um, so it's not specifically one person, but actually a series of, of teachers um, reported um, that they, that through be, through this kind of dedicating time to themselves, everything we've been talking about through becoming more self-aware, um, they suddenly noticed those thoughts that they were having about their students that were negative or getting in their way. And they were able to name it, which is what's really hard is just to name like, oh shoot, I had a thought that wasn't positive or I feel like maybe an implicit bias is influencing my thinking. Um, but by naming it, then we can actually start to work with it. And so I've seen this work playing out with teachers where they're able to change their classroom environment just by that noticing. So as soon as you notice that you're targeting one kid, you know, we all have it, right? I was a teacher, yeah. <laughs> those kids that you're paying attention to, but once we notice those thoughts that we're having about them, um, it starts to shift things. Or if we notice we have a bias that's impacting how we're showing up with our students, we can then start to make different choices. And so for me, that's been the most positive and affirming shift that I've seen lately. Um, and that's what I do with a lot of my administrators that I coach as well is just helping them to see their own patterns mm -hmm. and start feeling a little bit more brave. And as soon as they start to do that, then they can make those choices on their own and they attribute it to me, but really is they're, they're, they're empowered now because they, they, they feel like they can kind of, they can talk through their challenge. They can become aware of what's behind the scenes that's kind of interrupting their ability to act. And then they can feel more empowered to act. And then and then they jump and, and things are better. Um, so there's a lot of that that I get to see and experience in my work, which is really benefiting. You know, when we go to workshops at conferences, we usually get, well, and we get swag, right? In workshops, right. They, they give away swag, but we right. can't give away swag because it's a podcast. Right. If you had one or two favorite practices, like this is your go-to. If you had something that would be like a piece of swag, right. That I could take away in my pocket and have this cool thing. What would be your two favorites? The first one is you actually already named it, which is that three breaths. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I often invite people to do the three breaths by the first breath is just remembering that you're breathing because we actually often forget that. So we can remember just like notice our body's breathing. The second breath is just to feel into your body and feel what might be tense. And as you breathe, try and loosen that a little bit because we hold a lot of tension too, especially if we're having a hard time. So just try and loosen that a little bit. <clears throat> and with the third breath, just ask yourself what's most important in this moment. Um, not, you know, maybe you're thinking about something later or you're mad about something that happened before you walked in the room, but in this moment, what's the most important and remind ourselves why we're here in the moment. <clears throat> so I call it the three breath micro practice. Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful. Um, and you can do it anywhere. So I do it when I'm in meetings, you can do it in front of a classroom of kids because you're just breathing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's that really great opportunity to reset. And I'm it's doing it as you're talking and I already feel better. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what three breaths can do. And I think often we think about mindfulness or any other self-care thing, we make it feel so complicated and big. So that's the first one. Um, the second one um, is, I, I write about in the book more, but I, I call it being the believing eyes. And that's not from me, it's from another kind of uh, spiritual leader. She calls it being the, the believing eyes, which basically means being the biggest cheerleader you possibly can for the people around you in your life. Um, which might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but when you focus on other people and you raise them up, number one, it actually feels really good and takes away some of that competition energy that can be there. But, you know, and it, you can't do it with the, with the goal of getting it back. But what happens is you start to get that back to you. Cause when you start to put that positive energy into the world and you, then it's simple, like congratulating someone for doing something great. And I'll notice sometimes I'll have some jealousy or some like, why did they get this success or this recognition? Not me. So that's there. But if I can kind of acknowledge that and then also still be really happy for this friend or colleague for something great that happened to them, um, or even just kind of taking interest in people's lives, asking about their kids, remembering something, it has this way of building connections with the people around you that's pretty quick and pretty easy. And what happens is they start wanting to connect back with you and the relationship changes just a little bit. So often people want to bring social emotional learning, mindfulness practices out to everybody and they feel good about it. They want to make everyone do it. But those two things that I offered are ways to start to shift the energy around you without making anyone else do anything different. And they will start to shift just by being around you. So be the believing eyes, be the cheerleader for other people. Um, find someone who can be that cheerleader for you if you can, that's even better. Mm -hmm. Someone who's just gonna reflect back your greatness to you so you remember what that's like. Um, and then yeah, taking three breaths, uh, giving yourself that permission. Okay, thanks. Um, what has been your key takeaway this past year? This has been a year of isolation, first of all, as we know, but because of the isolation, a lot of reflection and a lot of recalibrating and re-examining. So I'm just curious if you have a key learning that our listeners could benefit from. I like to think that I'm a self-aware person because that's like what I write about, but it's, we often write about the things we need to learn. Um, but I noticed how many times I wasn't valuing my own worth. So the example is, and it's a silly one, but you know, I, I have from when I was married, this beautiful set of China that I have been lugging around to through different moves for 15 years. And I've used once or twice, whenever I see it, it makes me happy. I love this China set. It's not a particularly fancy one, but it's just a nice one. Um, and instead of using that China set, I was using really cheap dishes that I got from Ikea um, that chipped really easily. And 
I finally was like, why am I doing that? I have this beautiful set of China that's just right. sitting there. And so I got rid of all the Ikea, you know, nothing, no shade to Ikea, but I've been using my China set. And every time I eat and drink out of something like that, it's just like a little boost for myself. So it doesn't have to be anything major, but like, yeah. And I, and I ask questions, like if someone wants my time, is this also nurturing for me if I give this time? And if it's not, I need to make a choice, but my default has always been just to like bend over backwards for other people all the time. And what would happen, and I noticed it a lot during the pandemic, I would end the day exhausted because I'd been in meetings all day or doing things for other people. And I didn't have any energy left for myself. So now I'm just trying to start to ask that question like, okay, you know, do I need to do it? And often what's underneath my overcommitting is a fear that if I say no or set a boundary that those people will go away or that opportunity will go away. So again, it's a little bit more around worth. So I've been working on worth. That's been the gift for me. You know, our, our parents were the post-World War II, you know, parents. And there was this mentality around um, thrift and caping things, you know, and, and saving special things for special occasions. And I love what you said about your China because my parents moved and downsized just a couple of years ago. And my mom has this China cabinet full of beautiful things and they eat off of plastic dishes. And, and then she was trying to find homes for all these beautiful things that she'd hardly ever used. And I said, mom, why don't you just keep some of these and get rid of that, those plastics? Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what are, what are you waiting for? Right. What are, what are we all waiting for? What special occasion are we waiting for? If every day is not a special occasion, then what's, when is a special occasion? Yeah. It's so simple and it it makes you feel so good. It could be, it could be, it could be flowers. It doesn't have to be a lot, but little ways where, again, it's like, I'm, I'm recognizing that I deserve to feel good or I get to have nice things or I can, Mm -hmm. without it being a huge luxury item. And it it's every single time I eat off a dish, it's like, I feel better and I notice it. Yeah. Every time. The book is an educator's guide for using your three eyes by Dr. Megan Sweet. You'll find a link in the episode notes where you can order your copy today, along with links to Megan's website, podcast, and all of her other resources. Megan says, I like to give a lot of free things away because we're educators and and that's the way it is. There's always something there, meditations, worksheets, things like that. And while you're searching for great resources, make sure to visit edcuration.com and our sponsor today, the Teaching Channel Plus. Michelle Rooks, an instructional coach at Teton County School District says, the use of video has opened bigger, more honest conversations about what we are actually seeing. The teachers have grown more comfortable with discussions about what occurred in the video after reading through my notes. Because you're pointing something out to them and they can see it, the discussions and the learning go so much faster. The evidence is right there in front of all of us. Erin Gilrain, an educator from the Oceanside School District, adds, The Teaching Channel Plus has allowed our teachers to become more reflective. One of the things I love about Teaching Channel Plus is that there's an opportunity to ask questions and get answers or ask questions and let them marinate and find resources to dig deeper. Teachers crave these opportunities. Great tools, trainings, and intentionality are changing the long-term impact for our students and reshaping learning environments for all of us. To learn more about these and other resources, visit us at edcuration.com and leave us a comment. Propose a topic or tool for an upcoming episode and don't forget to like, follow, and share. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll be back next week for another episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. Mm -hmm.